Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a topic that is very, very pertinent at the moment. We're going to be looking at the future of procurement recruiting and also the future composition of procurement departments in general. Because not only are we looking at extreme change post-COVID-19, we're also grappling with all of the technological transformations which are facilitating a lot of things that traditionally would have been done by people in procurement that can now, and even more so in future, be automated. To tackle this topic, I've brought onto the show a recruiter in the procurement space who is also the host of his own podcast on that said topic to discuss and dive into this in more detail. So it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Mr. Martin Smith, founder and CEO of Talent Drive and also host of Talent Talks podcast. So Martin, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Okay, so let's kick off, Martin. Just give me a very quick overview of what you do and how you came into the space, and then we'll dig into what's going to be a Pandora's box of topics that we can go through today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, great to be on the show, and thanks for having me. So, yeah, in terms of my background, so I've been specializing in procurement and supply chain recruitment now for over 11 years. So I've worked both, I guess, in in in-house at Coca-Cola and Care UK, as well as for a couple of specialist procurement recruitment businesses before setting up my own procurement recruitment business, Talent Drive, a year ago next week, actually, so last May. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I can't believe it's been a year, and what a year. But yeah, so I um, set up Talent Drive last year, so specialising in procurement supply chain. And uh, and also I, I host a podcast as well, Talent Talks, um, across the procurement space. So, so very much uh, an authority in this space. I'm sure we're going to have a good discussion here. So as a recruiter of talent in the procurement space... I mean, you're obviously up to date with what hiring companies are looking for. And and now that we're approaching this from an angle of primarily how this all fits into the trends and forecasts around digital technology and how this will shape the procurement profession, and that's what the podcast is all about, mm. I wanted to approach this really in two separate segments. So first of all, I'd like to spend a few minutes to do a bit of a synopsis of how you feel things will play out over the coming months as now that lockdowns are easing and companies are getting back to work and, you know, fingers crossed the economy will will recover. It may not recover quickly, but it will, you know, it can't, it can't get any worse than it is now, I think is the general consensus. And then in the second part of the interview, I'd like to drill down and spend a little bit more time on this, focusing on a topic that chimes in more with the general objective of what I'm doing with the ProcureTech podcast. And that is to explore how trends in technology and digital transformation in the procurement space are going to be reflected uh, in the skills and the types of roles and really the anatomy in general of how procurement teams are going to look in the future. Sure, I'll do my best. So, so let's jump into the first part. So now, one of the things that happened pretty much overnight once lockdowns were implemented across the globe is that certainly white-collar positions, which you know, procurement obviously falls into, were, were moved into remote work or home office pretty much immediately forced through the necessity to keep working whilst not being able to, for the most part, commute into the office. And I, for one, do think it's 
perhaps a little bit naive to expect that all positions in procurement will suddenly be switched to a remote work arrangement. But at the same time, I also think that this has opened up a Pandora's box, which is going to be very, very difficult to close because candidates now are going to be, I guess, starting to question why jobs can't be done remotely, at least in part. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts around what are your clients telling you now in terms of you know what type of roles are they hiring for and post lockdown how do they see the ratio of remote based versus office based work i think firstly if if i go back to when i started my career kind of 11 years ago in the industry you know it was very traditional that businesses would be a you know in inverted commas 9 to 5 in the office monday to friday and i think there's certainly been a transition over time of of more home working but there I say it, there's quite a few businesses that still haven't implemented that till recently, where, as you say, businesses have had to do that, you know. And actually, I think the landscape of employment is going to change forever as a result. And I see it as a real positive because, you know, you're talking to me now from, from Bulgaria, but, you know, you could be working with clients in, in London or, you know, in, in wherever. I've got clients of mine that are based in London and there's, you know, people that will be willing to commute from all over the country now because, you know, home working is, is here to stay. So I, I can't see how any procurement leader can credibly turn around to anyone after this to say the job is office-based Monday to Friday. So I, I, th- I think that poses a real, you know, a positive kind of, you know, stimulation, hopefully on the marketplace that more people are going to be actually embracing that as, as businesses. And obviously with the technology, you know, we're talking today on on, on Zoom and people are doing Skype and Microsoft Teams and all the different video and technology that's out there. And I think that's going to allow more access to talent on a wider scope. So yeah, look, homeworking is here to stay. In terms of where it will transition, me personally, I, I think that businesses will go to kind of maybe a few days in the office where you need to meet with your stakeholders, you've got supplier meetings, you know, you're meeting, you're catching up with your team, which I think is, although it works online, it's much more effective face-to-face still. I mean, there's arguments there, pros and cons. But I think home home working one or two days a week, at least in general, and I'm generalizing slightly here, uh, I see as the kind of future of, of how the procurement industry will uh, will be managing. So what we're saying is then that even the most conservative companies can't really use the excuse anymore that they don't have the technology to facilitate it. It's really just now down to, to company ethos. And then that really is personal style of line managers for, for a start, but also HR policy. I guess the two go hand in hand. And um, yeah, absolutely. Like you, like, like you say, I mean, not, maybe not every company will move to what, a 100% remote working model. But if, if somebody only needs to be in the office one or two days a week or when they have important stakeholders, the meetings which and I completely agree even someone that as someone that's been remotely located in my in my last corporate job as well as what I'm doing now I, I do see the benefit of having face-to-face meetings to garner support and buy-in and to and to get projects implemented quicker I, I do think that that is the reality of human nature that you build up rapport with people and uh, and better relationships when you're able to meet face-to-face I mean, do you see in terms of salaries that this could have an impact? Because if you've got, let's say, I mean, you're you're UK based, so let's take a UK example. If you've got a role that traditionally would be based in London, but now somebody that's living in, say, South Wales or Yorkshire or somewhere that could be within sort of two or three hours commute of London to be able to go into the office for 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 two or three days a week every two weeks to be able to you know chair meetings their housing costs and their living costs are going to be 
substantially lower. So do you think that will then be reflected in that companies will try and put lowball offers in to reflect that? I think things like, so the London waiting allowances and things like that, I think that that will probably be reviewed. I think there'll be a a, a wholesale review on benefits for for organisations. I I think in terms of salaries, I think there's been needed to be a review for many years in the procurement profession, in my opinion. I still think there's a number of businesses that have quite an archaic way of sort of looking at that. It's and, and sometimes they benchmark against industries that's perhaps not, not as relevant as it perhaps should be. So do I think there'll be a change in impact set? Yes. I also think conversely, from a candidate point of view, people will be a bit more open and flexible to salaries that they'd consider the more it offers homeworking. I'm, I'm already seeing that now. I mean, when I, when I set up the business, I, I, I had some, some more focus in, in some of the areas like Surrey and Sussex and some of the, the peripheral counties of London. And actually, I've been quite impressed with the amount of businesses that have been able to offer, firstly, the flexible working, but also from a candidate point of view, they've rather going down the road, you know, to, to, to Crawley or Rygate or, or wherever in the suburbs of, of, the, of the home counties to work and actually flex their salary. You know, ye- years ago, I sort of revert back to when I started my career, people's first question was, what was the salary? And actually, I think now over the years, people's probably first question is, does the role offer flexible working? That is the number <laughs> yeah, one thing yeah. that people are looking for now. And salary is clearly going to be a factor like anybody. But actually, if I look at the, the roles that I've delivered in the last 12 months, the majority where we've had real, real success with the client is because they've been able to offer the flexible working. And as I say, I think through the pandemic, you know, I think that will only improve. And I see that as a real positive for the industry when we do recover. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. And I think especially as the workforce becomes younger and people that mm. were born after the technology revolution, I mean, I, I hate the word millennial because you can never just carve off a generation from one year to the next. But I mean, I'm I'm 42 and, and even so, I, remote working for me would be a, a deal breaker if someone said, you know, here's a job, it's a really good salary, but we need you in the office Monday to Friday every day. Mm. And I think more businesses are doing that. I mean, Twitter have announced, haven't they, that they're they're only going to be working people from home. That is the default. And maybe some of the fintechs and other technology businesses, which maybe we'll come on to, might be going that yeah. way. I think it's a really interesting sort of take on it. I mean, I think conversely, the other side of it, I mean, I've been working from home now for, for two and a half months, you know, obviously, as we all have. And I do miss people, although the video technology and, and, and all the, the ability to communicate with our friends and our family and and, and indeed colleagues is has been been great. I miss also people actually, you know, particularly when I'm getting briefed on new jobs, it's quite strange at the moment to be just purely, you know, speaking to them on the phone, no matter how well I know them or not. So I think it's really beneficial to meet the business, to understand the culture and the, and the environment and, you know, even things like the logistics of getting there. But, you know, I think for me, I've, I've now recruited people that have never met the line manager. And actually I challenged a lot of my clients in March that were still recruiting on, you know, you're going to have to make a decision on someone here purely from video calls and, and, and phone calls. And to, yeah. and to be fair, I've been quite impressed with the profession. They really stepped up to the plate and, and they have committed and they've, they've made decisions. But, you know, it's strange. I was talking to someone this morning and she's having her laptop posted to her and all of her equipment ready to start next, next Monday. So it's a really interesting sort of way. And businesses have had to be agile. They've had to adapt to it as we have as recruiters. We've had to adapt to to that being the the normal recruitment process at the moment. So the second part of this question, it's kind of bolted onto the general economic situation that we find ourselves in alongside the fact that people can work remotely and be a lot more agile now due to technology than they were previously. But 
do you think that companies going forward or, or based on conversations that you're having will be more inclined to recruit uh, contract-based roles for either fixed periods of time or, or to deliver certain projects because of the risk maybe of having too much headcount on their payroll, given the extreme volatility of the economy at the moment, you know, especially if there's talk of second waves of COVID-19 outbreaks in the autumn. I mean, nobody knows if that's true or not. But given that we're going to be going into pretty much uncharted waters uh, and and with all the technology that, that facilitates remote working these days, do you, do you see that being more of a thing? Yes. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I use the analogy of three doors. Um, so three doors were shut, you know, in, in, in early March uh, when lockdown happened, you had the, the door of natural attrition roles, i.e. there's headcount and they've had to pause that, that was stopped. Interim resource was stopped. And then increasing headcount roles, you know, through transformation projects that businesses were doing was stopped. So I think those th- three doors will obviously eventually open, but the first door will open will be natural attrition. You know, businesses that maybe someone has exited the business and they haven't been able to backfill that. I think that will open first. And probably, and my hope is, in tandem with some of the interim resource. I think you're right, you know, businesses are going to be having needs for uh, set periods of time, maybe in response to COVID, where they need someone to come in and do a whole review on, on supplier risk, as an example. And actually, then that will be a set project for X amount of time. So yeah, I think interim resource will definitely be the first door to open. As I say, my hope is in parallel with natural attrition roles. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be I don't like quoting numbers because it's a bit of a crystal ball, isn't it, at the moment? But I would say six to 12 months before realistically transformation projects that have been paused or, you know, reorganizations of procurement functions. I think before that will sort of get lifted and, and start actually, um, you know, supporting that recruitment. Yeah, so it's going to be backfilling essential roles before people look at more sort of strategic, longer term yeah. projects going forward or, or, or complete restructuring of, of their departments, which yeah, which makes sense. I think the other point I would make is from an interim point of view, I was giving some advice on, on one of my webinars that I did a couple of weeks ago. And I was sort of saying to people, actually, now's the time for interims to really be looking at perhaps tapping into sort of SMEs, charities, social enterprises, startups, businesses that don't have a procurement function at the moment. A lot of interims I know who are, who are fantastic, highly experienced. They've been very fortunate in their careers that they've been able to jump from one footsie to another or, you know, a big corporate business. But actually, unfortunately, at the moment, they're probably the businesses that are putting a hold on things the most in terms of what I'm seeing. So actually looking at businesses where maybe even there's a bit of pro bono work you could do to go in there and show your value add before then having something materialistically getting on the back of it uh, and getting paid. There are avenues at the moment. I think people need to be creative, and that's what I'm actively encouraging the the interim space to do. And actually, I really think those SME markets, and of course, you know, healthcare and public sector and markets at the moment, which still have a real need on the supply chain, they're the areas that interims should really be, well, and permanent candidates, but they're the markets that people should be really kind of focusing on. And certainly, us as recruiters, I know, are you know, are focusing in those market areas at the moment. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear you say that because essentially that's my business model in terms of, I mean, I am finding that the very small businesses, you know, sort of five million-ish business, uh, businesses, are you kind of having to explain what procurement does to them, which mm. is never a good start when you're trying to sell something. But certainly SMEs that maybe have a very small buying department, which is tactical in nature and, and, and has a manager of... Uh, that, that manages perhaps a team of three, four, five people, they they have real potential because that 
manager or procurement director is essentially just micromanaging his team rather than doing the strategic work that essentially I guess he or she is paid to do yeah um so so yeah it's interesting to hear a recruiter say that because yeah I, I, I completely agree with you and cost is everything at the moment right you know co- co- cost is is, is going to be a focus for every business you clearly procurement are a commercial vehicle in any function and actually yeah. if you're turning around to a CFO in a business that don't have a procurement team and say look I can do a spend analysis on your business and actually look at ways where I can save X amount of thousands of pounds. My feeling is why wouldn't they at least look at that and take a review on that? And if they can cut some costs accordingly and look at, as I say, supplier risk at the moment is a massive, massive area for businesses. People having to really, really analyze that with their with their materials and their products that they're using, particularly with the scrutiny on things like PPE and the validity and safety of that, as an example, that is a huge agenda on any business. So yeah, that, that would be the way I'd be approaching it. So just a quick interlude before we move on with the rest of the podcast, just to say that if you are a procurement leader or a finance leader in a manufacturing company and you're struggling to get to grips with your spend or you just maybe need an extra pair of hands to resolve a specific issue and drive some bottom line results, just drop me a connection request on LinkedIn or just ping me an email to info at jamesmeadsconsulting.com or just follow the link in the show notes to book a free 30-minute initial call with me so as I can learn more about your business and what I can do to help you. So now let's jump right back into the interview. Let's move on then to the second part. And this is certainly for me where it gets more interesting. And that is to, to look at how procurement teams may look in the future, but not, not only through COVID, although that will inevitably pay a part in terms of the new normal, but really looking at how over a longer term, let's say in, in, in sort of three to five years time, a procurement organization is, is likely to look. So if we take the typical procurement organization now that has, and I'm talking about larger companies here, but they would typically have a central team of category managers. They would have a few people doing process optimization, center of excellence type work. They may have people in supplier quality or supplier development roles. And then there's usually a a strategic project branch as well. Just saying, talking really crudely. I mean, I know every department is different. And then you have your local teams, which are typically sort of more operational or tactical buyers with perhaps a country or a plant purchasing manager in large production sites who are more deeply intertwined with the day-to-day running and demands of the business in that said location. Going forward, I personally see some massive changes coming into play here, really just by observing the marketplace and listening to how the skill sets are going to change in terms of what procurement professionals need to have in their toolkit, how things like geo arbitrage could play a role, you know, that you're not just competing now against uh, against a guy that lives 30 kilometers down the road that's applying for the same role. And you could be competing with someone in India or South Africa for the same position. Mm. And also things like automation. And as technology develops, will we need more data scientists working in procurement as a key driver of effectiveness? I think all of this sort of bundles into this in, into the general question of, as a recruiter, are you starting to see these trends come in or, or, or a business is still very much in the here and now and not really planning for the future skill set that they're going to need? No, I think businesses are, I think in the procurement space, businesses are planning for the future. I mean, I think my, my first comment, you know, this 
podcast is all based very much around sort of technology and and that within the procurement world. I think I see digital as being that kind of natural evolution for procurement. It's kind of building on that sort of e-procurement era that we had, you know, sort of 10, 20 years ago, you know, introduction of FenCube and uh, reverse auction platforms and, and, you know, um, e-catalogs and and also integration of P2P automation process into procurement. That's having, you know, a a huge bearing on the industry. The businesses in procurement that that aren't going to be successful are are the ones that aren't able to embrace technology and and really be able to sort of climatize to the digital age that we're now in. You know, digital is across every platform. It's not clearly just in the procurement world. It's you know, it's on your phones, it's social media, it's, it's it's how we interact with each other. And I think, you know, from a procurement standpoint, AI and robotics, I mean, we all know in the industry that is that is a huge thing that's been coming up. And actually, the more traditional ways of doing the, the, the labor-intensive sourcing sort of um, exercises are being very much supported by this new technology. So I think the landscape of what a procurement professional's kind of, you know, I guess needs are in future departments and future areas is going to be very different to, to certainly what it was 10, 15 years ago. So we're going to see an increasing rise in AI and robotics. We're seeing that with every client, you know, every role. I think there's often a, a bit of almost a lazy stereotype that you only need to be IT and tech savvy if you're in an IT procurement role. I've seen that bounded around on a few things, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, of course, if you're an IT procurement professional, you need to understand, you know, the software licensing suppliers or, you know, the hardware suppliers or whatever that may be, whatever category you cover. But actually, it doesn't matter what area you're doing, you need to understand how to run a, an e-auction, you know, how to work off a, 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 a bit of software or a platform to, to automate the, uh, the spend that you're analyzing or whatever that may be. So it's something that every single procurement person needs to be acclimatizing to and, and, and really understanding and educating them on, on how technology is going into the procurement world. And, and it, it's going to be different. And I think actually, as a result, the kind of what you and I would define as the day-to-day sourcing a lot of the heavy lifting is going to be done by AI and robotics and actually procurement people are therefore going to have probably more time to focus on the supplier relationship management side of things and, and looking at kind of supplier risk and going out with stakeholders and making sure that they're what they've, you know, what they're executing there, they're adhering to and, and, and almost those, those soft skills, which we hear about a lot in the market. And I mean, I, I 100% agree with your analysis there. And I also think, I think it's, 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 it's a question of when rather than if, yeah. but I, I suspect in five years' time, certainly in the more progressive companies that are that are driving forward with really adding value to their procurement organizations, I, I don't think there will be tactical or operational procurement roles. I, I, I think they will cease to exist, or or even if they do exist, they'll be they'll be done in low cost countries because you don't need to pay a, a Brit or a German fifty thousand euro per year to tap orders into SAP all day and chase up accounts and deliveries. Absolutely, and the value add, as I say, the value add for procurement people they need to understand the technology that they're using, but the value add for them is, as I say, it's the soft skills, it's the stakeholder management, and it's going to be that sort of SRM piece. They're, they're the thing that certainly, you know, the clients that I work with have really been wanting me to sort of focus on. And, and if I read any job description that I've ever done since I set up the business last year, everything talks about tools, you know, data, systems, there's something in there, no matter what category that role is procuring. So yeah, it's it's certainly here to stay and it's it's only going to be part of the evolution of the industry. So off the back of this, then, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in terms of skill sets that employers are going to be asking for? Because over the past 
one or two years, I've certainly noticed a shift in job descriptions that I see that there's much more emphasis now on influence and persuasion skills to be able to persuade internal stakeholders to actually implement what procurement want to do, because we've always had a bit of an image and influence problem within organizations, mainly because, you know, this is one of my favorite rants, but procurement doesn't have a seat at the top table. Mm. And because and because procurement got rid of all of their admin assistants about 10 years ago, sales never did, by the way, funny that a lot of procurement people tend to be stuck doing a lot of administrative tasks all day. So I ran a poll on my LinkedIn profile a couple of months back and, and asked procurement professionals, you know, what's your biggest challenge negotiating with external vendors or with internal stakeholders? And, and 90% said, roughly speaking, might have been 95 even, said negotiating internally. And, it, and, and it's because of, of what I just said. So are marketing or sales skills and sort of more psychological skills going to be much more key going forward? I mean, we're seeing it already, but is that just going to accelerate? Yeah. Absolutely. For, for, for me, procurement needs to act like uh, as a business partner. What, you know, what does that mean? What does a business partner mean? And for me, that is, you know, working with your internal stakeholders, not just going in there and cranking the handle and saying, we need to make this amount of money savings. I think gone are the days where people, businesses perceive procurement as a cost control center. You know, it's a, it's a heck of a lot more than that. And I think that, the, the, you know, in terms of your original question around what are employers kind of looking for, and what do you think they'll be looking for in kind of five years' time? It's only going to increase in terms of someone that has the ability to actually engage and influence with stakeholders in a collaborative way, not just we're procurement, we're going to help you save money by doing X, Y, and Z. That's just an old school way of doing things. It's going to be very archaic. So, you know, for me, it's being proactive, uh, not just reactive to people coming to you. And as I say, being that business partner. So that's all associated with the soft skills around, which I talked about. And, and stakeholder management and SRM, they are the key folks. If someone's going into an interview scenario and they can demonstrate to that prospective employer that they understand SRM, they've got some tangible results of how they've been able to, to run that process effectively, manage stakeholders in sometimes quite a demanding environment. There, there are some very challenging people in, in finance and supply chain and other areas. If they can demonstrate that they can partner with them and collaborate and get an end result, then that is what people are looking for. Less so that almost the technical expertise of, you know, all the suppliers in this area, it's going to be more on the Well, you say you the technical expertise and also the sort of lower level negotiation. Even now there is, mm. there is software out there that can do that. I mean, there's not software that can go out there and do a complex negotiation on a new ERP system or a, or, or a very technical service that's been purchased. But if you're buying something for a project, which is essentially a three bids and a buy type of negotiation, there's already software out there that can do it. And there's also software that can go out and scrape the marketplace and uh, and come up with all of the suppliers in that space, or at least most of them, for you to go out and uh, and request quotations or proposals from. So yeah, I, I'm fully with you there. I think the other thing I'd just like to say on, on the, just in terms of kind of, you talked about kind of procurement having a seat at the table. And, and I think, uh, you know, yeah. With, with the pandemic as well it was lovely to hear matt hancock a couple of weeks ago reference procurement specifically not just the amazing frontline <laughs> workers and i was really i was watching it at five o'clock and i put it on my linkedin and stuff and it was just great to have the industry being recognized and and i know it, in, a, in a very challenging circumstance but i think that'll only improve and i think procurement is is going to be having a seat at the table moving forward in in all businesses which again for you and i and people that work in industry i think that's that's only a positive. Do you think there'll be changes in terms of where procurement reports into most organizations? And do you also, with, with everything that's happening now with technology, we, as a department, we're going to be ever more dependent on 
data analyst or data or even data scientist roles do you see those reporting into procurement and if you do do you think procurement may at some point report into into a cto in some way or into perhaps supply chain because traditionally in most organizations i think it's generally been a reporting line into the cfo but certainly from my own personal experience in the last company that i worked for that changed and about 4 years ago we started reporting into the svp of supply chain which mm-hmm. i personally saw as being a very positive move yeah i think F- the fmcg sector in general are very good at that i think they've already made the transition a lot of businesses certainly that i work with in that sector going into sort of a an svp of supply chain or or, or someone very senior on the board level I think the other interesting transition I'm seeing with with a few other professional services businesses that I work with is actually from the IT procurement community actually reporting straight into a CIO rather than necessarily a direct link into supply chain. So that there's that very very yeah. close link with 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 the IT and technology kind of you know senior stakeholders and board members. So I can almost see potentially, and I've already seen it in some where you know I, the IT community is already talking to CIO and maybe some of the other areas of, of procurement spend. May go up, go up to um, up to supply chain. So there's there's an obvious transition, and, and I agree with you. I think that will that will certainly change, with the caveat that. So so yeah, it really it really depends on whether it's a manufacturing or services business. Then to a large extent, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. But but still, the caveat I guess would be CFOs. I'm sure that uh, any that listening in on the podcast will be sort of still want to be close, be very close to the to the spend. But um, but yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. If there are three tips that you could give to procurement candidates right now to minimize their risk of becoming irrelevant in the future marketplace, what would they be? So I think firstly, pivot to markets where there's a demand in supply chain. Unfortunately, if you're in, and I work with a lot of uh, aviation businesses, that, that is a sector which you know is going to be challenging times for a while, sadly, before they recover. So I think if you're in those kind of markets uh, or, or industries, I should say, I think certainly look, look to pivot to markets where there's going to be a demand in supply chain. Secondly, I would say look at upskilling um, yourself in terms of some of the technology and the trends and things that are going on. I think if you if you're getting more intel and and experience and, and whether that's through books or whether that's through SIPs training courses or, or wherever it may be, I think upskilling yourself on some of these e-auctioning and some of the the software that we've mentioned, I think will be a huge benefit for individuals at the moment. And I think the first thing is in terms of be proactive. I know that might sound a bit vague, but I, I think for people at the moment. Procurement is at the table. It's it's a huge, huge part of every organization in the UK and indeed globally. So I think the more people can be proactive, and that's proactive in terms of their network and, and getting more connections, that's proactive in terms of engaging with, with stakeholders in the businesses that they work with and actually really setting a name for yourself, that, that's really going to allow you to, to, to be at the top and, and really succeed in the in the functions you're working in. All fantastic and very pertinent tips. Thank you for that. So if you're listening out there and you're maybe a little bit worried about becoming irrelevant in future, or if you're perhaps in an operational or tactical role and you want to sort of pivot and, and make your skill set more strategic, then what Martin shared there is is very, very relevant in terms of being able to transition into a into a more future-proof role. So thanks for that. Martin, I know you've got a podcast and also maybe if you could share with everyone where they can find you, especially if they're UK based and want to get in touch around perhaps working together to find them a role. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my, my podcast, uh, Talent Talks, if you search for it on iTunes and Spotify, uh, the business is Talent Drive. So if you search for Talent Talks, it's on all good podcast uh, platforms. And of course, on the website, uh, talentdrive.co.uk forward slash podcast, and you'll find the, the Talent Talks podcast on there as well. Of course, anyone wants to reach out to me for further information, 
I'm martin at talentdrive.co.uk. But no, it's been great to uh, great to speak to you, James, and thanks for having me. No, pleasure. Thanks for coming on, Martin. And I always love philosophizing a little bit about what the future is going to look like and getting my crystal ball out. So seems that we agree on a lot of points, which is uh, which <laughs> which means I've obviously done my homework. So <laughs> yeah, very insightful, Martin. Thanks again, and look after yourself. Take care, and yeah, speak yeah. to you again soon. Thanks, James. Stay safe. All the best. That was a fantastic insight into the world of a recruiter. And it was great to have a conversation with Martin around sort of thought leadership around what's going to change going further into the future, especially around how digital transformation and digital technology is going to really change the nature and scope of the roles that we need to have in procurement departments in larger organizations. So I hope you got a load of value from that, especially if you're a job seeker or if you're currently in your position and you're wondering how to protect yourself from technological change, then I hope this has given you some value. Thanks again for listening. I will catch you again next week. Until then, stay safe, take care wherever you are and bye for now. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.